Canadian Export Challenge and the Startup Canada Awards are coming to a city near you. Entrepreneurs in Vancouver, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Mississauga, Montreal, and Fredericton have the opportunity for a full-day entrepreneurial experience. In the morning and afternoon, attend your one-day global accelerator where you will connect to Canada's entire trade, export, and growth ecosystem. Accepted entrepreneurs have the chance to pitch to win $25,000 in cash and up to an additional $100,000 in in-kind scaling support. In the evening, celebrate the winners of the 2019 Startup Canada Awards who are driving innovation and growing the economy in your region. Register for the Canadian Export Challenge at startupcan.ca forward slash CXC and get your tickets to your local award ceremony at startupaward.ca. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. Here to give you a first-hand glimpse into the future of Canadian business, it's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day in the life stories and in their shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs build theirs, this is my lane. Want to connect after the podcast? You can find me at www.meetrivers.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, look, sometimes they're disruptors and then there's disruptors with a capital D. And we're just thrilled to have as today's guest on the Startup Canada podcast, an investment portfolio manager who's been in the industry over 15 years and in it to solve the transparency. And my portfolio managers won't grow my money problem. Randy Cass is the founder and CEO of Nest Wealth, and he has set out to provide an innovative fintech called Robo Advisors, which we'll get into, so that investors get more personalized and transparent wealth management solutions. Randy's previous company, First Coverage, won multiple awards, and we're going to talk about that X 
exit as a top startup, including a financial services Morningstar Award for best use of technology in Canada before it was ultimately sold in 2011. Randy also hosted Market Sense on BNN between 2012 and 2014. And recently, Montreal's National Bank invested $6 million to onboard Nest Wealth Technology into their own portfolio management system. This guy, this company is a total disruptor. Today's podcast, we're going to break down what robo-advisors are and some numbers to dazzle your day. There's one in particular in here you're going to want to pay attention to. Ladies and gentlemen, Randy Cass, I'm just so happy to have you on our call today. Rivers, it's uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. So, Randy, I got to ask you this question. You know, you are a disruptor. You are making things happen in an industry that is pretty conservative. You know, take us on that journey where you said, I'm tired of something that's happening and I'm going to fix the freaking thing. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, one of the things about um, starting companies, and this is my second one, as you mentioned in the intro, first coverage uh, was the fintech that we did from 2005 up to 2011, is that you never actually know uh, the path you're going to take to get to that uh, initial epiphany of, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be solving. That's where I'm supposed to go. And for me, it was really um, in the in-between years after we had sold first coverage and I was hosting Market Sense on BNN. Um, it was it was a moment in time when I was having a lot of really smart, really important financial industry professionals come onto the show. And I was really given uh, all credit to BNN uh, free reign to ask them whatever I wanted. Uh, and, and the thing that I kept coming back to, because uh, I was trying to figure out my own investment solutions and I was educating myself on how the Canadian landscape, even though I'd been part of this industry for, for almost 15 years at that point, I was still educating myself on, from an investor point of view, what the Canadian landscape looked like. And as right. CEOs of mutual fund companies and CFOs of banks would, would kind of show up on my uh, a set, I'd eventually start asking them, uh, that's great, everything you just told me for whatever press release or quarterly earnings they were on for, but what are you doing about fees and what are you doing about the fact that Canada <laughs> yeah. is still far and away the highest feed country in the world when it, when it comes to how it treats its uh, end investors? The F word. Oh, yeah, the F- what are you doing? The, the F word. four letter F word fees. <laughs> yes, dude. And the truth is, uh, a, a lot of a lot of the answers um, didn't amount to much. And I would have the same CEOs and CFOs back six months later, and, and I would have the regulators on, and everybody recognized this issue existed, um, but it just wasn't moving in a direction that I thought was inevitably going to lead to some kind of successful conclusion, or if the goal was, how do I make life better for a Canadian investor? No one who was showing up on the show really seemed to care that much about getting to the answer quickly. And so after a couple of years, I knew I didn't want to be a Canadian TV uh, person. I, I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I knew it was just a good kind of in-between thing until I inevitably wanted to start another company again. Um, it, it just dawned on me one day after one of these conversations that I should stop talking about how bad the situation was and I should really try and figure out what I could do to make it better. And, and like everybody who has that entrepreneurial blood kind of coursing through their veins, from there it was just a matter of 
deep thoughts and, and conversations with others and, and figuring out, all right, how do I put the jigsaw pieces together to make this work until, until inevitably, if you think long and hard enough about something, you're going to come up with a solution. And, and we did, and that was the birth of Nest Wealth. It's a, does it, I mean, I'm, as I'm listening to you say the word care, uh, with the people that you were interviewing, and I'm sure people in this podcast listening are saying they didn't care. Like, how does that make you feel as someone that's playing in that world? And who obviously that's something you would expect should happen. Yeah. You, it's, it's hard to point the finger at market participants today and say, you're the problem. Um, it, it wasn't mm. the fact that this was an industry that was populated by evil people who had little empathy for the investor. The truth is, I think the vast majority, and I'm talking in the 90% of advisors and mutual fund managers and financial services executives are good people who are showing up at work every day and trying to do their best. And, and they have inherited an industry that uh. really makes it next to impossible for things like active wealth management, which is what the entire mutual fund industry is predicated upon. The notion that if I think long and hard enough, I can eventually do better than someone who just buys the entire market and forgets about it, which is called passive investing. And it's been shown decades and decades of objective studies that active management with high fees, which is the environment that exists in Canada, is not a proposition that ends up doing well for investors. And so I don't think the people are malicious or evil or bad, but I think the industry was working so well and there was so little disruption and so many people were getting wealthy off of what was the status quo that it was just incredibly in it, it, it was next to impossible to suggest that anyone from the inside out would have had a motivation to do something about what was a problem for the investor unless they were going to be forced by external circumstances and, and so what i decided to do was to become those external circumstances that would force the industry to wake up and change and so that's when you started at Nest Wealth. Now, um, we've had previous conversations and you uh, you sold first coverage. And I'm interested in having a conversation around, you know, what what was that process like and what would be some recommendations you could have for our listeners on that. But you had you had a bit of time to reflect for your next uh, your next journey, which is Nest Wealth because of your time at BNN and and uh, you, you trying to figure out what you wanted to do. So how did you, how long was it between when you said I got to deal with this problem and when you ultimately started to deal with it? Wow, that's a great question. And, you know, I can remember um, the moment, the, the kind of the moment where everything came together for me. Um, and I would say before that moment, there was probably three to six months of thinking about the issue and trying to resolve the situation. So, so not, not an extensive period, but it wasn't like I showed up at BNN the day after I said, I'm going to do something about this and said, I'm out of here, find yeah. another co-host. Right. It was, right. let me, let me make sure that the pieces exist. Let me make sure that the theory holds mm. water. Let me talk to some very busy people to see what they say. Um, and then 
the, the piece that was always missing for me, and this is this this was a foundation of Nest Wealth when it when it came out of the gates, was the notion that we we don't have to. We don't have to have any sacred cows. If we're going to go in and disrupt the financial services industry, everything should be on the table. And if the goal is to make sure that the end investor is better off, fees had to be the thing that we were most obsessive about. And what we did was one day I was sitting on the couch watching um, Netflix with one of my sons. I've got three boys and I was watching it with the youngest right. one. And that's when it kind of all came together. I knew technology existed. I knew financial products existed. I knew the uh, um, attitude of the Canadian uh, um, citizen or investor was such that they would do things online. But I couldn't figure out the pricing. Right. Thing. I just couldn't figure out how to make right. us interesting. And then I looked up and I went, well, why do we need to price it on a percentage of your assets under management, which is how this industry has been priced for decades, if not if not 50 to 100 years, why don't we <laughs> think about pricing it on a flat fee, like a Netflix, which, like I said, was exactly what we were watching. And that's when it all began to make sense to me, because all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, we're selling a service, we're selling a solution. And the truth is, our value, that solution, is the same amount of effort on our side, whether our clients are giving us $200,000 or a million dollars. And so why are we going to charge them five times as much? And that, that that had never been done. That subscription-based flat fee per month, never going to be above $80 a month, no matter how much money you give us, had never, ever been done in wealth management. And the second I thought of that, that's when I got really excited. And that was when you show up the next day at BNN and say, guys, I got to run. I got something else I need to do with this life. Uh, this is so cool. So a, f a couple of questions come out of it. Uh, and I don't know, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how do I keep it all in order? I'm just going to ask it. So, uh, so you've got, <laughs> you, you remind me of Tony Lacavera. I don't know if you know his story. He started, yeah. So he, for ladies and gentlemen, he was the guy that started at Win Mobile, went up against the big three. And he talks about all this shit that came at him from the big three. Huge, you know, just evil, evil stuff happening by the big Goliaths go, uh, going after the David. And so, so I'm wondering, you came out, and this is what you're going to. This is disruption, dude, and you're going after it. And first of all, I can, you know, I've never had the pleasure of meeting you face to face, but I'm sure you had a great smile on your face when you left BNN that yeah. day and said, "I can't wait to go on this ride." But what, what, what was kind of the reaction from the industry? Uh, first of all, and second of all, was there any kind of shit that happened that, you, that was really kind of practices? You say, dude, they, they're scared. So, so the industry's initial reaction was almost disbelief, right? So, so let me tell you a couple stories. Um, when I was at the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, uh, one of my uh, – well, the guy who was head of the entire department that I worked in was a gentleman named Morgan McKaig and uh, a phenomenal mentor, uh, just incredible man, a gentleman through and through. He sat on the board of First Coverage um, for me uh, and, and was along for that ride. And so in 2014, 13-14, uh, when I was thinking about Nest Wealth, uh, of course, one of the first things I want to do is call up Morgan, say, can we grab a lunch and, and sit mm -hmm. down with him and go through the plan? And first coverage was good and it was big and it worked out. Um, but I said, I think I got something multiples bigger. I think I've got something that exponentially could change the industry. And I went through the whole thing and we get to the pricing and we're looking at the economics and Morgan runs his finger down my balance sheet and my income statements and goes, uh, and goes, I think you're missing a line item here. 
And I, and I go, I go, well, like usually we're not getting into specifics right now, Morgan. Like it's just, you're talking yeah. about what are you thinking? He goes, where's your budget for bodyguards when you roll this thing out from the end? <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So, so right there at that point, I kind of understood that I understood right away that people weren't going to like this because, because the way wealth management had been charged in Canada and the high mutual fund fees, they were the, they were the goose that laid the golden egg and kept, kept on. Uh, of course. Um, of course. But it was fascinating for me because because when I say it was disbelief at the start, um, we had when we had sold first coverage and, and I had learned through that journey the good, the bad, and the indifferent about taking on venture capitalists and all the experience mm. that you gather and all the mistakes that you make, we made it we I made a decision that this was going to be a fairly bootstrapped, no partners. We were going to see how far we could take this and keep the vision pure and, and the mentality of we're trying to do this and, and we think we can do this in a certain way. Um, and so when I so, – so there was no discussion. We turned down venture capitalists who were offering us money to put into the company because we didn't, we didn't want to have to dance to a tune of, all right, let, let's, let's grow with disregard for any possibility of turning a profit. Right. Um, but yeah. we did need partners in software and like back office software and middleware and the rest of it at the start. And I would go to them and we needed a custodian. We needed all the pieces that would let us play in this regulated industry. And I would say to them, all right, this looks great. I need your software. I need it to do this. But I need you to be able to price in dollars per account. I need you to be able to charge me in flat dollars per account because we're not going to be charging basis points. And no software in the country actually had the capability of not charging basis points, which is percentages Incredible. of the clients. They just didn't Incredible. Yeah, they just didn't understand it. They were well, like and I can't even begin to tell <laughs> wasn't ever done, it, right? Wasn't ever never done. done. And, and no one was was even thinking that they were they were uh, someone who wasn't insane would think about this because the question I got asked the most in that first year was, do you know how much money you're leaving on the table if you do this? And because it, obviously if you charge a percentage of assets under management, the higher the account grows, the more you take. And I, I just looked at them and I said, no, no, no. I'm not leaving it on the table. We're leaving it in the investor's <laughs> pocket, which is exactly where it should have been all along. And Happy customer. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not going to invest so they can end up in the best possible position, then why are you doing this? So we, right. we ended up um, having this moment of disbelief among all the middleware and vendors that we needed. And we finally jumped over those obstacles and we got everything set up. Um, and then we rolled out. And, and to be honest, I think there was a universal shrug among the big players. Digital wealth was looked at at the time as something that no one in Canada would ever do. What Canadian in their right mind would ever move to a wealth manager that they would never meet in person if they didn't want to, that they would never go down to a mahogany table in a boardroom in a large tower in some urban center in Canada, that they would have someone that called them on their birthday, that took them golfing, took them for a dinner. <laughs> Who would ever do this with their mom, right? So no one thought we would matter. 
until we did. I got uh, uh, to stop you there for a second because I, wa- I, wa- I want you to reflect on what I'm going to say because it really gives to me the vision of where you're taking this. It reminds me of the, t- of the time that Steve Jobs went to the quote-unquote record industry and said, I'd like to work with you to create this music platform I'm creating called iTunes. And they laughed him out of the yeah. room. Laughed him out of the room. Um, again and again and again. And when he started it, they shrugged and they shrugged and you know the rest of the story so sorry to, but it just is this vision of okay i don't think you're gonna do it well it sucks to be you because it's gonna happen anyway yep. it's gonna happen anyway so you, you launched it 80 dollars. so then there's the other side of the consumer confidence piece did you have did you have an issue with consumers saying mm, how good of you if you're you know, if you're 80 bucks a month you know visions of, of the, 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 the smoke-filled room and the the guy with the tie way down around his belly button and he's just you know greasy hair yeah. he's not going to look after me for 80 bucks why would i give you more than 20 bucks a month to do it yeah it, it- it was um, it was a couple issues right off the start. And look, we were not asking people to upload photos or we were not asking people to download an app to play a game. We were asking people to trust us with their life savings and as a sophisticated arbiter and manager of what should be done to reach their goals. This was, this was heavy lifting. This was credibility building. And so there were a couple things we did. One, we said, look, if we're going to ask people to hand over lots of money, and when I say handover, I mean it just in kind of metaphorically, because the truth is we, we actually set ourselves up so that we never touch the money. The money goes right to the custodian, the custodian's national bank. The custodian is something we have no access to when it comes to kind of moving money uh, in and out mm. and all over the place without, without the consent of the client, where it goes right back to their bank account, which has been validated. So we actually said, if people are going to do this, one- they need to be made aware that uh, that Nest Wealth never actually has access to the funds like they might think we do. Two, that it's mm-hmm. being held in their name in a in a bank in a custodian account under one of Canada's largest banks. And three, mm-hmm. that if they don't do this, they're going to be sacrificing if they're stuck in a mutual fund right now somewhere between forty and fifty percent of their potential mm-hmm. wealth to high. Ouch. Yeah. And it was that last one. Um, the yeah, first dude. two were really easy because because in the first year, the most common question we got was, where's my money? Right? Like if I if right, I push this right. button and sign up, who has my money? And once we explained yeah, it was yeah. at national banks, and they were like, oh, I get that. I'm happy with that. I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah. Done. But the other part was why. And once people learned about the amount of uh, – um, damage mm. that fees were doing to their accounts, then it became night and day. Then they were like, okay, I get the why. Where do I sign up? And so it was that education of the potential client, that education of the consumer and investor that uh, to this day still remains the greatest limitation on the rapid growth, the mass consumption of digital advice. So 
I love it. So you've identified where the sweet spot is to rapid growth, which is education. And there's a lot of innovative solutions that are being created by entrepreneurs. Uh, many on this, uh, on this, uh, listen to this podcast. How do you recommend to them? What are the, the, the top two things they need to do to do one, build an education message that is relevant and two, continue to deliver it in a way that creates the, uh, the, 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 the result they want from a company speaking out to potential clients. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Look, it, we tried some creative things off the get go. So, so one of the things we did was, well, I mentioned we never took money from venture capitalists in the early days. Um, about, a year and a half in, so call it May 2015, uh, we yes. ended up taking uh, um, some money from uh, a subsidiary of uh, of Metroland, which is which is the regional paper uh, organization and, and digital uh, assets of uh, underneath the Toronto Star, Tour Star, and. With the money they gave us, which at the time was uh, was about a million and a half dollars, I think, um, came a large um, marketing voucher. Uh, and the, the whole thing was predicated on the notion was, all right, one, we need to take in some money. And I had very specific desires on the type of terms I wanted in a partner or investor and the, and the type of um, um, potential partner that would step up and and, and fit into those terms uh, was limited by the very nature of what I was asking them to do. But also we thought, you know what? This is a great idea. We have a series of 80 papers or somewhere around there that that are regional, that are an older demographic, that have a huge amount of goodwill with their client base. Why don't we partner up with a media company and use that as the backbone of educating our consumers? Weekly columns, weekly digital, in a place where they establish – uh, they've established trust and goodwill. And so that, yeah, that was what we did. I thought it was smart too. In the end, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but you're, bor- you're, you're borrowing somebody else's credibility. It's bonus. Yeah, in, in, in the end, I'm not sure it worked to the extent that we thought oh. it would. Um, but I think it was an exercise in saying, how do we credibly educate the consumer in a way that doesn't feel like we're just kind of yelling at them that that they're because one of the things you can never do is tell the consumer that they're in this position because they haven't made good choices or they're in this position because they didn't pay attention and and really what we were saying to investors if you thought about it was oh boy if you're in a mutual fund what a mistake you might have made doing that and you never want to put your potential client on the defensive like that so the Other thing we did was, and this was a two-part thing, one, we made sure when we spoke of the opportunity as a Canadian investor to save hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees over the course of an investment life by picking Nest Wealth or a digital advisor, we made sure that investors understood that this was something that they never had the opportunity to do before. They could never be empowered by choosing a better way. And so it became incredibly important, and I'd suggest to any entrepreneur out there, that you make the investor or the client or the potential client feel like this is the first time they've had the opportunity to empower themselves and make themselves better. And that's an incredibly valuable and important emotion for them to feel. Yeah. And make them tingle also while you're doing it. It's like, oh my gosh, 
I can do it now. Finally. Finally. It's this release. Good for you, dude. That is so cool. Congratulations. Thanks. And the second part was we really had to educate them on how big the problem was. And so a year and a bit ago, we did a study and we said, you know, I actually wonder where investment fees stack up relative to everything else that people buy in their lives. And we were talking homes, education, cars, holidays, health expenses, whatever. And so we got a, a bunch of stats. We got we got Stats Canada stuff. We got data from uh, any other press releases that, that others had put out about studies on the average Canadian. And we ended up running the numbers. And it shocked us, even though we're sitting in this industry, it shocked us to find out that the expenses an average Canadian pays in investment fees over the course of their life <laughs> are, the, are the second largest out of anything in their entire lives. It falls right behind a house. It is more money than what they spend on education, what they spend on bringing up children, what they spend on health, cars, vacations, anything. It was about $331,000 over the course of an investment life of the average Canadian. And once we had that number, then I just needed five seconds of your attention. Like I can't even begin to imagine how many people, where are we, like 20 minutes into the podcast? How many people in your podcast audience right now are going to be saying, listen to the point where he talks about how much fees cost. You put a number on it and all of a sudden people are like, I get that. I've never understood that before. And then, and then the floodgates just opened. Randy, um, I've uh, just, while you were talking, there's now throw up on the floor here as I listen to this dude, seriously, what a, it's got to make a lot of people sick first of all, but then also the, the other side feel good that they've now been given this opportunity to do it. So, so uh, I I love it. And uh, I love the disruption. I love anything that touches into the the financial world that causes them to squeam a bit. Uh, I really don't, I don't know what it is, but it's, uh, it's the, maybe it is the Robin Hood in me that wants to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to do that. But I got to ask you this question though. So you it's $80 a month. You're new into the world. You've got the other guy screaming, Oh, he's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking. Cause I'm sure there's other people that are advising their clients. So don't go near that guy. And then you come out with something called, but don't worry, folks, we're going to do it with robo advisors. Yeah. Tell me about robo advisors. So, so a couple things that I'll say, and, and and let's start at the beginning of, of this industry, because this industry has in the five, Five odd years that it's existed in Canada has gone through an immense amount of change already. So like many things, the Canadian industry and Canadian business world is is a bit behind our American partners in this. Um, what it has been referred to as robo-advisories or robo-advisors uh, started uh, a few years ahead of us in the States. And, and the term robo-advisor was actually generated not by the industry or something that that they wanted to refer to themselves as, but instead by the status quo industry as something that they were hoping would scare people away from considering alternatives. They wanted people to think right. uh, that's scary, that's impersonal, that's yep. that's how nine thousand. That's that's a whole bunch of yeah. bad stuff <laughs> that I want nothing to do with. And so that name was hung around digital wealth management solutions like an albatross. But 
what uh. those that did the hanging didn't think was that it was such a catchy phrase like holy crap really robots running well that that's so cool and and of course it's <laughs> going to be further from the truth but yeah. it made the media go nuts had they left good enough alone and just let the media call us digital wealth, no one would have given two cents about us. But the fact that yeah. they hung robo-advisor around our necks, all of a sudden, <laughs> every day, there was another article about robo-advisors and what it would mean. And the public relations coup and the general industry education that that single phrase allowed to happen was worth more <laughs> than tens of millions of dollars of media. It was, it was incredible. So yes, it's not a great name. I don't personally mind it because we're going to talk about what we actually do in a second. And, and, and the second you scratch yes. below the surface, you recognize what's actually yes. happening. But yeah. the fact that it was such a scary phrase and such an interesting turn of phrase really let the industry take off years sooner than it otherwise would have. I am. Um, I'm thinking of the word Mike, two things I'm thinking of. One is the word Mike drop on that one. I just love it. You just must've been laughing out to yourself. Silly. When you saw that <laughs> momentum happening. And the second thing, dude, by the way, uh, you said this is what we're going to talk about next. You got to remember, I'm the one that asked the questions. Oh, sorry, okay. Man. <laughs> just trying to, just trying to help you out. Yeah, okay. Just so trying now, to give, so, you, so, give so, you the street sign. Yeah, I get that. Sort of, so now that my stomach is back in place, uh, Randy. So could you explain a little bit more about how it all works? Yeah, no, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so uh, what Robo Advisors essentially did, and particularly here in Canada, where we've got a different regulatory environment than in the states or really anywhere else, is it uses technology to take all the parts of the investment process that could be automated, should be automated, would be better if they were more convenient and transparent and does that to them. So anything from I'm an investor, I don't want to drive two hours and sit in a boardroom for an hour to sign paper and then have it go back and forth with all the mistakes that need to be corrected. Forget it. Robo-advisors have digital onboarding from start to finish. All the forms are digital. All the all the mm. onboarding is digital. All the signatures are digital. There's not a piece of paper that's being printed or wasted. There are no errors or mistakes. Everything's done quickly. You can onboard yourself into a new account at Nest Wealth in less than 10 minutes. The second thing, the way that your portfolio is created is done by asking and answering a series of 10 to 12 questions. And they really are the things that matter most, things that we need to know about you from a regulatory point of view, and then things we need to know about you to make sure that you're ending up in the right asset mix. How old are you? What's the goal? What are you saving for? When do you want to have that amount saved? What kind of risk tolerance do you have? And we continuously iterate on what's called this KYC, this know your client process, so that we can make the questions easier to understand, so we can make Make sure they go in the right order so we can make sure people don't end up answering two similar questions in conflicting ways. But you can whip through that KYC process and all the forms you need to open an account that will be held at NBCN, that national bank custodial part of the business that we talked about, and be done right. 10 minutes. Never left your wow. house, never changed out of your pajamas, never worried about getting into the car to drive anywhere. Then, once that's done. Every single investor in Canada ends up being able to have a conversation with a registered portfolio manager in Canada. And that conversation generally will be about, I've looked at your profile, I have no questions about it, or 
you know, there is something that kind of piqued my interest here, and I'd like to have a discussion to make sure that we're interpreting this properly. At the same time, the investor gets to have that conversation with their portfolio manager and make sure they're 100% comfortable. At that point, you agree to what the asset mix will be in because, again, we're using technology and we're using everything that we consider best industry practice. We don't figure out that we've determined a new way to create portfolios at Nest Wealth that no one's ever thought about right. before. No, right. we go and use the right. Nobel Prize winning formula of how to create portfolios mm-hmm. to match up to someone's risk tolerance. We don't say we figured out a better way to create financial products here at Nest Wealth. We say, no, we're going to take the ETFs, the low cost exchange traded funds from providers like BlackRock and providers like Vanguard, and we're going to use the best in class. We don't say we figured out how to make sure that every Everybody has the greatest potential return possible for the level of risk they're willing to take on. No, we again look to the industry and say there is traditional best practices as to how you figure this out. And fortunately for us, all that is mathematical, all that is done on algorithms, and all that can say if you have given us these answers, we can create this specific, bespoke, personalized mix of assets for you using nothing but low-cost passive ETS, and then we will continue to manage it, rebalance it, allow you to adjust it as your life situation changes, allow you to have full transparency into it, and we'll do it all starting at 20 bucks a month and never going above 80 bucks a month. And to us, what RoboAdvisor represents is the ultimate combination of human intelligence and sophistication with technology efficiency and transparency and convenience. And when you say it like that, and you provide solutions that can save the average Canadian two, $300,000 in fees a year, what you're really doing is bringing to market a solution that is not just for millennials, as the, as the media tends to write about, but is for anyone who is all of a sudden concerned that there might be a better way to reach their financial goals. And that is exactly what we have found out over the last two years. What's the minimum that someone has to have in order to invest with you guys? Nothing. I mean, nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, and yeah, that's crazy. When you, Fifty bucks a month is what it could yeah, be. Is what you're saying? And, and, is, and that's yeah, crazy yeah. when you think that some some places have million dollar minimums right now. But let me yeah. tell you who we're, we're yeah. best for, because the truth is, we're gonna being you can't be for everybody, and that's another thing that I'll say to to any entrepreneur that's listening out there. You can't be for everybody. Segment your market, find the problem, go after it. Right? Like, think about it. Right. We have made life infinitely better for those that have already managed to save a bit, those that are looking for a better solution, those that don't want to pay an arm and leg in fees, but don't want to do it themselves, right? Because we charge that flat monthly fee. But for someone who's just starting out, someone who has a couple thousand dollars, I mean, we will give them an ability to try us out for free. We will give them the ability to invest up to $10,000 with us at no cost. But the truth is, Mm This isn't for someone just starting out. This is for someone who is looking at their statements on a monthly basis and saying, I am paying way too much for the value I think I'm getting, and I want someone else to be taking care of this. So our our customer base is is kind of in their 40s and 50s. Our average client is 47 years old. Our average balance is about $170,000. We have thousands of clients. We manage nine figures in assets under management here, which is hundreds of millions of dollars, and we have never spent a dollar on marketing. 
<laughs> Love it. I got to ask you this question. You get three boys. Yes. What are their names? Benjamin's my eldest. Nathan's my yes. middle and Daniel's my youngest. All right. So these three fine gentlemen, I'm sure they are. Um, do you ever say to them, why are you doing it that way when you should be really kind of doing it like nobody else is doing it <laughs> for stuff they do in their life? Yeah. You try and walk that fine line between dad and <laughs> entrepreneur, right? The entrepreneur yes, is so excited when they figured out a way to do something differently than the teacher told them to do it. <laughs> yeah. Dad is like, oh, you know, you're going to fail this, but I'm kind of proud yeah. of you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. Th- look, this is the only dad they've ever known, right? For 15 right. years, I've never drawn a paycheck that I haven't created by either coming up with a show idea or building first coverage or building nest wealth. These are these are the characteristics that they see in dad and and to be fair, I'm the parent they think is the second hardest working parent. So they also see these mm. incredible, uh, hardworking, um, ethical, driven behavior to be creative in their mom as well. She, she has a sure. huge job actually down in Silicon Valley. So they, they get it from both ends with the family. Nice. And, and from their point of view, they recognize now, they understand now that this world exists for them to try and figure out what they want to do in it, but they can only really expect to get to the position where they can do what they want if they work their tails off. So in our house, it's all about the effort. The truth is, uh, I really only care if I see them making effort in their studies, Mm -hmm. in their hobbies, in their extracurricular. They can get a five out of five or a four out of four and a depending on what school they're coming from. And if it's just because they happen to be lucky that they're smart in that subject and they didn't put the effort in, nothing happens. But if they put the effort in, in a subject that they struggle in or in something that they had to learn from the ground up, I don't care what the grade is. We will celebrate the effort over the outcome any day of the week in our house. High five, dude. I love it. I um, I want to um, reference uh, something that I think is pretty cool is that uh, Montreal's National Bank, they, they did invest that $6 million to onboard Next Wealth, Te- Next Wealth Technology yep. into their own portfolio manual system, management, portfolio management system. So that's the next stage is the quote-unquote white label yeah. approach. So look, and this is, this is a really important part of what it is to, to start a business as well. So, so, um, what we recently did in, I guess, May of 2017 was, was we announced a deal where, uh, we did take $6 million of, of investment capital into the business from national bank. And we also announced that national bank had selected nest wealth to power their digital wealth strategies throughout the entire organization. So that's everything from, uh, nest wealth at work, which is a group RSP solution that we actually just rolled out last week to, uh, Nat, Nat go, which is their digital advisory white label solution, which is, which is kind of, um, what we've been talking about in the past and a whole bunch of other cool, exciting stuff that they've asked us to uh, to deliver to them. Um, but the thought three years ago that we would end up partnering with these same large financial institutions that were essentially uh, laughing at what we were trying yes. to do. Shrugging. Uh, shrugging. shrugging. Um, might have seemed odd, but the truth is 
it never seemed like it was not going to happen to us. And I'll explain why. Um, like I mentioned, the American market had had advanced beyond us by a few years, and there were two companies down there called Betterment and Wealthfront that had raised hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital. And there was another company up in Canada that had just struck a deal with Power Corp and had raised $30 million to support themselves uh, in May uh, to, in April 2015 as well. And we got together as a company and we said, look, this industry is clearly not going away. Digital wealth, as we assumed, is here for the long run. But that also means that these high fees, if we wanna if we wanna circle all the way back to the start of our conversation, what started this? High fees and a problem in Canada. What would cure it? Uh An external force pressing on the industry that made them Uh have to change. And so all of a sudden in 2015, with all this VC money being raised, we said external force, check industry has to Uh change to survive inevitably so why don't we be the engine the platform Uh that these firms Uh will use to actually start moving their practices into a more economic more efficient more driven and streamlined process because we can do it quicker for them and we can do it better than they can and we can get it into their hands and we can control some of the product in the process so that's what we decided to do in 2015, and we launched that product, that that B2B platform, in 2016, in, uh, in August 2016, and that thing is just driving like crazy. We've signed six enterprise deals. Uh, we're working with firms from National Bank to Credential to others that, that have been announced but uh, not publicly, and then, and then we have – um, unbelievably large deals in the pipeline right now. And, and the, the, the bet that this company made was that we don't just have to change this industry from the outside in. We just have to make it so that this industry has to change itself to continue to compete. And then we can start changing it from the inside out as well. And that's the exact situation we're finding ourselves in today. Wow. Wow. Really, wow. I can't, uh, Randy, there's so many other things I want to talk about. One of them is, and I'm going to ask you if you don't mind if uh, if someone has a question specifically related to this, because I think your your story of going from first coverage and the, you know, the VC conversation and how you decided to sell, not to sell, and so on, I think would be a great education for folks. Can you take us on a 60-second kind of closing remark on here's something to remember when you're about to exit a company? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and this this is an entirely <laughs> second conversation to have. If uh, if, you're, yes. if you want to have me back one day, I'll be happy to give you the juicy details. Love it. But You'll be back. Dude. Here's the uh, here's the nutshell. I know. OK, so never build your company to sell it. I'm totally, uh, I think that's an abhorrent idea. And I think inevitably you're going to be disappointed if that's the, if that's the rationale for getting into starting up a company. That being said. Never think about an action you take on day one as not having a direct impact on your ability to sell the company down the road, right? And you always need to be thinking, what am I doing right now that is going to limit my alternatives or force my hand five years from now, 10 years from now? And the cleanest example I can give anyone looking at a term sheet right now is valuations on that term sheet 
are probably the 62nd most important thing. There are so (laughs) many other things that you need to care about. And as I say to everybody in this organization, the only valuation I will ever care about is the one on the last deal that we sign as a company. Until then, make sure you keep control Make sure you have the ability to make the decisions that matter and make sure that you are in control of your company and that you're not giving it away to someone who might have a different view of what they want to do. Wonderful, man. Oh, Can't thank you enough. Oh, it's it's been a, a gr- great raid. And uh, before I f- before you go, um, tell us uh, nestwealth.com. Nestwealth.com. Uh, and, uh, and for anyone who made it to the end of the podcast, uh, first of all, <laughs> congratulations. Uh, <laughs> second of all uh if you do want to try us out um anyone uh who wants to go when there's a box as you're signing up that says uh, where'd you hear about us and if you put startup canada podcast from the drop down menu uh, you'll get your first three months free wow Thank you so much, Randy Cass. You are an amazing entrepreneur. I'm glad you're on uh, our side of the border. And uh, I'm glad you're a disruptor because you're making it live, you're making it real, and you're making great lessons for entrepreneurs that are coming up behind you. Thank you so much, sir, for your time. My pleasure, Rivers. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, this is Michael Litt, co-founder and CEO of Vidyard, and you are listening to the Startup Canada podcast with Rivers Corbett. Um, Michael, how would you how would you uh, um, suggest to a company that's trying to disrupt a major player in in the space as you guys did with YouTube? How do you how do you do that? How, do, how did you guys do that so that clients prospects started to look your way? And keeping in mind folks this is at the very beginning of this journey where you're going up against an established uh, organization like youtube can you talk about that sales marketing process that you went through uh to to get interest in what you guys were doing yeah i mean it was really easy to point out the challenges with a product like youtube used in that context now this is no knock against youtube it's the world's second largest search engine obviously next to google um, under the alphabet structure and your video content needs to be on YouTube. People will find you through YouTube and so we've always worked with them. We syndicate our customers content to their YouTube channels. We pull the YouTube analytics back in um, but on that specific use case which was that earned and owned audience on your website, our customers knew that they could not have an outbound link. Nobody wants an outbound link on your homepage. Um, that's like digital marketing 101 and so it was very easy to communicate communicate that value proposition right. and it wasn't that many solutions. In fact, there was none at the time that were customizable, would match your brand, allow you to have an interactive watermark, 
in the player itself and was really cheap and was provided by the company that was making your video. So it's kind of an all-in-one solution. So we really initially just sold it to companies that we were making videos for. And then once we got to Y Combinator, right. we decided, you know what, the services business is actually impeding our ability to scale. Let's go and focus on finding more companies that have this YouTube challenge and just really simplify our message and our core offering at a cheap price to help them understand that they're losing customers to this leaky aspect of their funnel, which is this YouTube embed. So it's really about getting specific and really simple.